Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real-life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. today with Brenda Beckedorf. Brenda, welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> well, we're very excited to have you and um, I'm just going to jump right in and I think sure. we have a lot to chat about this podcast. We do. This is going to go fast. <laughs> <laughs> so Brenda is the Executive Director of Alberta IoT, a nonprofit member-based association established in 2017 to support the growth of all things digital by creating a space for connection, collaboration, and innovation. In her role as Executive Director, Brenda's Brenda's focus is on bringing our community together to provide a common voice in advancing the knowledge, adoption, and growth of the Internet of Things industry with the province of Alberta and throughout the world. Now, Brenda has a story that is one of resilience and strength. She is a domestic abuse survivor, and I have the honor of speaking to Brenda today to hear her journey through turning trauma into triumph. Brenda, welcome. Thank you. This now, is very... <laughs> yes. Well, and, and Brenda has not shared her story before. Um, and you are a very successful woman in tech. And so this is very raw and very tender because you're, you know, letting the world in on, on a piece of your life that has been very private. So... You've gone through so much in your life and confronting your past can be extremely triggering as well. You're a survivor of domestic abuse. So can you share with us uh, what this statement means to you? I think one of the things when people hear domestic abuse, they automatically go to a man hitting a woman. But there is so much more to domestic abuse than that. And in my case, I was married to an alcoholic. And so an alcoholic and actually a drug abuser that I did not know until after I actually divorced him. Um, but it was the controlling of our household and the controlling of our finance or even the impact on our finances. And you didn't even realize, actually when I left and looked back, I did not know how much I was changing as a person to adjust to this person in my life and how it was impacting my day-to-day life. And I think, you know, again, going back to the emotional abuse when you, I can remember hiding my mortgage money under my baby's crib mattress so that we can make the mortgage payment. That type of control and fear is a different type and it's every part of your day that you're trying not to get this person upset. But it's not because you think he's going to hit you. It's the impact that he's going to drink more, fall down more. Your children are going to see it. Your neighbors are going to see it, that type of thing. And so mm-hmm. it, it's every part of your day in life. And you don't want, because we were middle class, you don't want your friends, your family, nobody to know. So it's a very different story. And, and I think that's part of what I wanted to share today is that different type of emotional abuse and financial abuse. And I'm so appreciative you are because like that's the first thing historically when mm-hmm. I think of domestic abuse, it's always the hit, the punch, yep. the, you know, that physical component of it. 
And so thank you so much for mentioning that because there's obviously so many different faucets of domestic abuse. So share with our listeners what that was like for you and when that started in your in your marriage. Yeah, so we married quite young, coming out of university. Actually, my ex was in university. Um, and we had four children in a row, or over 12 years, I should say. We had four children over 12 years. I was a stay-at-home mom. I was in New Brunswick. And so back then, those days, um, we all stayed home, raised our kids. Your husband went to work. I didn't even pursue a career. I was just, I'm going to stay home, raise my babies. And that first 10 years was actually wonderful. We were growing our family. We were buying homes. We were having a happy life. And I knew he had been adopted, and he was raised by parents that were alcoholics. But they managed, his father managed to have a good career and only drank in the evenings and weekends. His mom was an alcoholic. And I was aware of it, but I was so young, I didn't realize the impact. And so as he grew in his career, and we took on more stuff as a family, four kids is a lot. One of our children had special needs, um, so that was exhausting. And he started to drink a little bit more and a little bit more to handle things. And at first you don't even realize because you've been married long enough and you're just going along, but then you start to notice it's starting to take over more and more. And I think it was when our fourth child was born, I remember being at the baseball field. So we had a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 2-year-old, and a newborn. So we had two boys playing baseball four nights a week. And he didn't show up to pick us up. He was off drinking and I was abandoned on the field with these four children, no way to get home. And so I called my father-in-law to come rescue us. And those stories started to happen more and more and more. And again, not wanting the neighbors to know, not wanting to realize. And then I started to notice at the same time that the drinking was going, his depression was happening and he didn't want to get out of bed. So he wouldn't get out of bed for a couple of days. And so then his work's calling, and now there's a risk of work. And again, I had started to do a little bit of work part-time just to kind of bring some income, but I didn't have a career. So again, no income here. We're middle class. None of our friends are experiencing this, but now we're not getting together with others for social activities because he gets falling down drunk, and that's embarrassing. And then he started to fight with the neighbors. And you're starting to have all of these things starting to compound, And I remember my daughter, she's my baby, was five months old, and we just hit this wall where there was no money in the bank, all of this stuff, I'm hiding money for mortgage payments. And I sat down with him to talk to him about it, and I found out there was a $40,000 debt out there on drugs that I had never been aware of. And he had to go to his father for money. And I I was just losing it. Like I'm like, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna manage? We're gonna lose our home. And he went into detox for the first time. We did five rounds of detox before I walked. Like we tried so hard and at some point you realize you're trying but they're not. Um, But we, he came out of detox and we moved right after that from New Brunswick to Nova Scotia. And I started to take on more and more work with my job. And I actually moved into a manager's job, which was awesome because I was home three days, three weeks a month. But one week a month I was traveling. 
And that's where it kind of blew up because when I was gone for that week, I had to worry about my children's well-being with this person who got drunk. And so my father-in-law was coming down to be with my children because I didn't trust my husband to be with my children. And so it was kind of that storm of building up and not knowing, again, not knowing what what I should do about this. And I remember being in a conference in Toronto, my father-in-law calling, going, I can't handle this. You need to come home. And I'm going, I can't come home. I need this job because I'm going to have to stand on my own with these kids and feed them. And I don't even know how I'm going to do it. I'm making so little money in this role. I'm just starting my career. How am I going to do this? And so he managed to make it through. But when I came back, I went, I can't do this anymore. We, I'm calling it. And then we had one very bad blow up where the police were involved. And I took my children and went into hiding um, for my own safety and their, their safety. And that was that turning point where it just, it got too bad. And my oldest boy was in grade 11, grade 10, grade 10. And he was like just traumatized by it. And so I'm like, okay, my kids are really being impacted. I'm impacted. And this is the part that I think, again, we all assume all domestic abuse survivors go to a shelter. It never entered my mind. I'm used to living in a Middle-class suburbia. Middle, yeah. yeah, like you don't do that. Mm-hmm. You come up with money, you come up with support, and you go find a place to live. And that's what I did. I, I did have support from victim services because the police were involved. I did have that type of support. I went into a bit of counseling for myself and my children, but I didn't go to a shelter ever. I always tried to figure out how I was going to move forward in my job to feed my children. And so we went through a really tough, about a year there where I was still doing that traveling bit for one week a month, but I had a friend taking my kids for that time. And the rest of the time I was home, but my ex kept showing up at the house and then the police would be involved and it was getting, so it was very fearful for all of us. And so my company that I was working with at the time said, you know what, we have a job opening in Calgary. It pays triple what you're doing now. It's a huge opportunity, get you out of this situation. They were so supportive Um. and I went, okay, don't know a soul. I'm leaving everything behind. This is terrifying but it gives me a restart. An opportunity. Yeah, so I took it. Um, and I had three weeks to move, and I packed up my kids and my furniture. Thankfully, they moved everything for me. We rented a place in Calgary to get me here. And I remember arriving on a Friday morning with the four children <laughs> and pillows and sleeping bags because we had no furniture for about three days until the, wow. and my vehicle wasn't arriving and nothing. And I remember going, oh my God, like my poor kids are all looking at me going, you're going to do this. So we're following you. We're trusting you, mom. But it was terrifying. Um, What year was that, Brenda? Oh, holy cow. You're asking a hard question. Approximately. It's about 20 years ago. About 20 years ago. About 20 years ago. Wow. My kids are all grown now. And you mentioned you have a child with special needs. Are yeah, so my third boy was, um, and it was funny, when we landed here, he was going into grade one, and he wasn't settling in well, and I thought it was because of all the trauma. And so I went to a child psychologist and said, like, 
he needs help adjusting. This has been terrible for him. Let's figure this out. And he came back and he goes, he's severe ADD. He's ODD, which is oppositional defiance disorder. He's got a learning disability where if you print out math questions, he can learn. He's like way ahead of himself, but because of the reading part, he's not, he struggles with the reading mm -hmm. part. So expressive language disorder. So we had that. Um, he has some occupational therapy. He couldn't ride a bike. He never learned to ride a bike. Um, so once I knew what I was facing, then we went through, I pulled him out of public and I put him into a private school. Um, they were great. I was a single parent at the time. So they turned around and gave me um, a very low rate to be in there, um, which was really amazing. They worked with me. Um, oh. So he went from grade five to um, grade 11 in that school and then went to one other private school to graduate wow. got him through um, he ended up in the children's hospital for six weeks because he was so aggressive and we didn't know what to do and they worked with him they gave him medication they gave him PT um, speech therapy all of that stuff they worked with the private school on what he needed he has always been a lot more work than any of my other children. I love them to pieces, but there is a lot of work to a child, especially when they have a lot of aggression. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, as a mother, you hold that on you and go, okay, what could I have done differently? And it is what it is. I know that now, but at the time, it, you know, it was like that other thing to handle when I was first trying to stand on my own two feet. Well, and that's why I ask, because as I'm listening to your story, all that's going through my mind is how how are you surviving with four kids like surviving even with no kids in domestic abuse yeah. and then and not one child not two not three but four kids <laughs> i and yeah. and trying to make ends meet and i'm just trying to um yeah go it, i'm what i'm thinking is how is this woman even surviving like I guess were there days where I giving up isn't an option because you, you are a mother with that. with children and can you share with me about like what was the support of your family and your in-laws like like mm. like because it, uh, you know when I think of as a parent if I've had questions on parenting yeah. or struggles I go to my yeah. mom right away yeah and you know and, or we my mother-in-law lives in Calgary so when we need help yeah. you know we'll call her and she'll come babysit the kids so you know, and you talk about being middle class. So where were your friends and family and how did they contribute or not contribute? Mm. I will say I'm very close to my sister. She's four years younger than me. Um, she's in New Brunswick. So she was, but at the time she's military wife. So she was traveling all over. So we rarely were in the same city, but I talked to her almost daily on the phone. Um, and she was a huge support for me. I'm an outgoing person. I recognized as soon as I hit Calgary that I needed to have people around me. And so I was out there right away. My job was fairly um, visible too. And so I was always out there connecting with people, building a community. One of the people I met was with um, Discovery House. And it was interesting. She had gone through a similar story and she was from New Brunswick too. And so we connected really well. And I actually spoke to some of the survivors at Discovery House. This was a, quite a few years after I had been in Calgary. But I remember always reaching out to all those folks around. 
my in-laws, I think, were quite traumatized by the fact that they had to accept their son was an alcoholic. It was interesting. My father-in-law had drank for 30-some years, and he stopped drinking cold turkey when he found out what was going on with my husband. So this is why I asked, because you said yeah. that your husband grew up in an alcoholic home, yeah. So, but your father-in-law seemed to be present during yeah. this time, so I was trying to understand, yeah. so, so thank you, because he, I... Yeah, wow. they, he really took it hard that he... Contributed? Had, yeah, or? but then they also enabled him, because when I left... He quit his job, he moved back into his parents' house, and they supported him. So he's never mm. carried a job since. So he was a professional, and he tanked his career. He wow. completely tanked his career. So I've never received child support to this day, never have, raised the kids without help. And so again, I had a relationship with my in-laws because I wanted them to have a relationship with my children. They were very angry I moved out here. They felt that was a bad decision, but they were there for my children, and we kept that going. Um, but I don't think they were there for me to confide in, and my parents uh, weren't really great at that either. So I really had to look for others. I would say that one of my biggest challenges was I ended up bearing that story about who I was inside me when I hit Calgary. And then I think what happened was I had a little bit of counseling when I first left, but then no more, because I was too busy trying to survive, and I was pushing forward in my new career, trying to get going, and so I got into a bad relationship again. And I think that was my trigger, is I realized I was making the same mistake again. The person wasn't abusive, but it was not a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. It impacted my kids, and I went, okay, now I need help and finally went and got some serious counseling for myself. And it was like, okay, what am I doing that I'm always getting bad in, back into unhealthy relationships? And it was a self-esteem thing, it really was. Like, I didn't have a great self-esteem coming out of high school. Um, being in the marriage, as I became better in my career, my ex was starting to pull me down because he didn't want me to be successful. And then going into another relationship where, again, didn't feel like I was being supported. So I had to really step back and look at, okay, who am I in? Who am I putting around me that are going to uplift me instead of tear me down? Mm -hmm. And that, that took a while. That took a journey. Yeah. And so when you moved to Calgary, um, how, what was that like for your kids? Because... They obviously, especially the two older ones, witnessed um, an abusive yeah. father, but yet that is still their father. And yeah. so can you walk us through that journey with your kids and what that was like for them? Because there's probably this part of them that they're happy that you and them are safe, but that's still their dad. Like, how did, yeah. how did that work? So my two older boys had their dad for a number of years where he was really in their life mm -hmm. and he was a very smart man he spent a lot of time with them so they were very tight and then as it deteriorated that was really they took it on them I, I know they took it on them and then the move out here I think we were all in survival mode but as we kind of calmed down each of my kids went through a different journey with their father so none of my kids today have a relationship with their father Every one of them went back and tried at different points in time to have a relationship. He was not in a great place to have that relationship. 
And I will also say a couple of my children have gone through their own depression and anxiety. My oldest boy has had a version of PTSD from that traumatic ending of the marriage. And <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think all of my children will have scars from that. And I, I think that's been something I've had to work through with counseling is if I had left sooner, maybe my kids wouldn't have carried the burden the way they did. And we've talked as adults and I've tried to explain why I stayed as long as I did, you know, worrying about how I was going to feed them, thinking it was going to get better because he was going into detox. I think they understand more now because they are adults. When they were younger, they didn't and there was a lot of anger. Um, one of my sons still has a lot of anger. Actually, I would say two of my sons have a lot of anger about the whole situation and it's been that 20 years. Um, but it has impacted them a lot. Um, and I've gently guided them towards counseling. They didn't want counseling when they were teenagers and you can't force a teenager into counseling, <laughs> no. much as I would have loved. So they have all in their own time frame gone through counseling. Um, it, it is, it is hard. Like I've seen my daughter especially, cause she was only two and a half when I yeah, left. Yeah, so young. So young, so you're going, okay, she's protected but she wasn't like she had so much trust issues that it took her a long, long time to get in. And she's married now with a baby, a little boy, and she's in a good place, but it took a long time. And when she started dating her now husband, they had to work through some of that stuff. Because we, we carry a lot of triggers. We carry things that, you know, go into your next relationship. Yeah, all those traumas. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's certain time parts of your life that you just don't, you either don't acknowledge them, you don't want to deal with them, it's easier yeah. to just brush it under the carpet. And then sometimes when you start even having your own kids, it's when you're, when they yeah. come up again. They do, yeah. they do. So when you moved to Calgary, um, do you feel that you had enough support? You spoke to, you know, getting help, getting mm -hmm. counseling, and there was even from a school perspective, there was... Um, it sounds like an endowment that was, you know, yeah. you were able to put your, your kids through certain schools. How about your own support? Was that something, and again, yeah. and not, th this was many, many years ago, you know, yeah. uh, but what was that like for you? Again, because I, I'm in that middle class zone, I'm not reaching out to the resources that maybe someone else would have. And I think that's the key point here. There are a lot of us that are in that middle class zone that are domestic survivors. And so we tend to go and pay for private counseling right. and get help because again, most of the people out here that know me would never know this story. Um, I left and closed that door very, very much. And only when I went into that second bad relationship did I realize I needed to go get help. But I went to a private counseling. Mm -hmm. I really utilize resources outside that. And so I didn't talk to people here in Calgary about my story. And nobody here would know that story. Right. But I talked to my sister and I talked to my counselor. Um, and then when I got into this relationship that's now my husband, that relationship, I was very honest. Day one, very honest about what I was bringing with me. And what was that like for you when you met your now husband? Were, I mean, you must have had a lot of guards up and you must have mm. been scared. And 
So what was that discussion like? And I guess he obviously had an open heart and he was willing to take Brenda, her kids and her trauma on. And so, yeah, talk to (laughs) us about that. Oh, you know, it's funny. When I met Tom, I was literally flying back from New Brunswick. I just found out my father had pancreatic cancer. So I was really, really struggling. I had put myself on (laughs) eHarmony. Because who do you date when you have four children? In my sandbox. (laughs) And I'm like, I don't want to date where my children are. And you're working full time. I'm working full time. There is not a lot of option here. (laughs) And I'm like, where do I go? So I was on eHarmony, came back from New Brunswick, dealing with this overwhelming sadness my father was going to pass. And Tom shows up on my thing. We met for lunch. So I, my youngest at that point was 14. Okay. My kids were okay. now getting into their late teens, early 20s. So this has been a while. Yeah. And he had a four-year-old and a nine-year-old. Oh, and my I'm like, gosh. Like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, first of all, that's six children. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> and then, so we went for the first <sighs> lunch. And I think this is probably, you know, talk about an honest conversation. We didn't have lunch. We sent the waitress away constantly. He was in a high-conflict divorce. He could barely see his children. He was fighting to be with his children. So he was really open and honest in that lunch, like, this is my baggage. And I went, okay, if you can be that honest, I'm going to be honest. So we sat there for like an hour and a half, honesty. Like, this is what we are carrying. You just unpacked it all. Like, we both unpacked it. And it was like, okay, well, if we can get through this, (laughs) we can go on date two. Isn't that crazy? Like, and, and so... I mean, one of your stories might just scare yeah. anybody off. And then you have yeah. the two of your stories. But I guess you kind of bonded together in yeah. crises. Like, yeah, almost. honest to gosh. Yeah, like it was like, okay, we were so open and honest right from the start. He had triggers. I had triggers. Yeah. Um, I cannot handle alcohol being in where medicine is. That was my ex's thing. And he was on pills. He was on alcohol. I can't do that. And so they have to be very separated in my house. You wouldn't, nobody would think about that. Nobody even be aware that being around someone who drinks too much would be a trigger for me. How would you know that? And so those were things we talked about like early, early on the triggers. And for my children not trusting a male, he had to walk in. He was used to a four-year-old, nine-year-old. He was not used to teenagers who did not trust. And they were full-time. He had full time, and so he had to deal with this. And my daughter was 14, which is not an easy age. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And she's very close to me. Um, We're very similar. So we would have major blow-ups and then calm down. He was not used to that level of intensity and was very overwhelmed by it. And for me, having a four-year-old climb into my bed or need to be helped to the potty or put on shoes, and I'm like going, you were so oh past that. Lord. <laughs> like I'm back into this world again. So yeah, we we did a lot of talking. We actually did counseling early on in our relationship on trying to figure out how we help each other with our triggers, wow, because we both so had strong triggers. Yeah, that's really impressive. But you guys must have clearly had a deep connection and a deep love for each other like that I'm assuming you fell in love 
fairly quickly because to go through that with your history (laughs) and his history, I mean, just one of those histories sounds daunting. Well, and and it's funny because he uplifted me right from day one Mm -hmm. because I was looking at my career at that point going, I want to change careers and I don't know how to do this. And again, that inside voice talking to me going, you can't do more Mm -hmm. than what you're doing. And he's going, he was the one who actually helped support me go talk to a recruiter. And so as we're going through that first year of our mar- our, our relationship, I actually went and changed careers. Um, so I went to a recruiter and I said, here's what I do. Here's all of my skills, help me. And she put me in front of an IT company that was looking for a business development person and they were quite established. And I went into a three-hour interview with the CEO and got hired. Wow. Totally did not have <laughs> IT in my background. No oil and gas. Had to really learn all that. And so got I ended up in tech. And, and so what year was that? That would have been 20, 2009, 2010 okay. in that time frame. Yeah. So you've been so in tech that long. That long, yeah. yeah. So that first year, we... So he had an apartment, I had a house, we realized we were going to get married, we built a house to handle six children. So in November and December, we got married, I changed careers, and we built a house and took possession of a house. That's amazing. All in three months. <laughs> like, nothing like chaos. Well, but, you're, but your lives were already chaos, so Our, why not yeah, throw like, a little and, bit and more and of chaos you just into it? just embrace totally. chaos at some point. Yeah, like exactly. Six children so our wedding party was our six children we went to Kananaskis village and we had our children dance to the black eyed peas and we danced to the wedding and that was our wedding and what um, year was that that would have been 2010 okay so you've yeah, been married for going on 13, 13 years. years yeah so we've and because the kids were all so far apart in age my children adopted the little kids as their children, their, their, their little brother and sister. They, my kids are all, all six children are close. They love each other. They take That's care so of each beautiful. other. They're, yeah, it was so easy for the children, which really probably helped us because the high conflict stayed throughout the marriage. Um, the children are now grade 11 and university. So we're now coming out of it finally. So what's that like now? Because <clears throat> when you reflect on your life and how far that you've come and now you're in a successful marriage your kids are growing um almost out of the house like is there this sense of like relief that you and your kids are all alive (laughs) yes Uh, a sense of accomplishment um a a sense of peace like tell our listeners what that feels like today so I will say, I feel like I've chose a lot of difficult paths in my life. Because even blending six children is not an easy path to choose. I felt like I always chose more difficult paths than maybe others. But I also got used to being uncomfortable. And because of that, even my choices in career have been because of that. I'm okay with being uncomfortable. If that's, you know, whereas I think my children are all tending to take more calmer lives. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> Which is interesting, yeah. yeah. I think my kids are going, okay, we've had a lot in our life. We want calm, mm-hmm. which I, I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I understand that a lot. I think I'm willing to take on obstacles, and I know I can get through them because I've gone through this. Well, and I think that that's probably really benefited you in your career because now 
I mean, how we met was through one of my forum mates and all he could speak about was he like, you know, how successful you've been, you know, as a female mm. in tech. And so clearly your ex life experiences have really been probably a big catalyst in your career and your success. I would say so, because even going into the role I'm in now, there's there wasn't all the way through, there hasn't been a lot of women in tech until over the last few years. Mm -hmm. And so going into IT, I was on a leadership team of 16 um, people and there was two of us that were female. Um, and I remember being in rooms where there'd be a couple hundred men in tech. And I, I moved into leadership pretty quick in that job. And so it was interesting when you walk in as a female, they're assuming you're a marketing person or the secretary or something like That's that. That's right, the EA. They, yeah, exactly. They're not recognizing that I'm coming in as a leader. And I'm a pretty strong personality. I make myself clearly seen when I'm in my role. But that has also, I've had pushback quite a bit from different people mm. because they're like, oh, not okay with who you are. Yeah. But, so. but think of think of your history and how strong though that's made you to deal with those circumstances because someone who hasn't had that adversity and um, all that conflict in their life if they've led a very you know kind of conflict free life yeah. they wouldn't be equipped to walk into those rooms and deal with that so you know I I there, there there's a mix because I think on the surface I'll fight back and hold my own and then come home to my husband and go oh my god like this has just drained me emotionally this has harmed me yeah. like I can feel my triggers coming out so we mountain bike and hike a lot and I'll just come in the house and I'll go I need to go to the mountain I need to go for a hike I need to do something to rebalance what advice would you give to someone listening who may be stuck in a situation like you were stuck in I think, you know, I stayed longer because I was so worried about the financial part. I was so worried about how my kids were going to do, and I was taking them out of middle class and potentially putting them into poverty, and I'm not even sure if I can feed them. It is amazing how much strength you can find as a person to get out there and find the stuff to keep your children okay. And so... I wish I had talked myself into leaving sooner. It would have been better for my kids. It would have been better for me. There are so much more resources than when I went through this. Don't let that negative self-talk in your head hold you back. If you don't belong in that relationship, get out. There is a lot there. My pride probably also held me back. I didn't go for resources that I could have used because of my pride. I didn't want my children exposed to a shelter. Like I got told, go to a shelter. And I'm like, I am never putting my child in, my children in shelters. Like we will find a way to have a place to go to. And that probably my own pride held me back. Um, so don't let that hold you back. Get yourself out, get yourself safe, do what you need to do. Do you have any contact with your ex today? No. I don't even know where he is. And when was the last time you spoke <laughs> to him? Oh, at least 10, 15 years ago. Um, when my daughter was eight, she really wanted to meet him. And she's musical. My kids have that math, science background that he has. And so she really wanted to meet him. 
And so I flew back with her to New Brunswick and I met with his parents. She got to meet her grandparents again and she met him and they hung out together. I was always there, never left her alone with him. And she was so happy, she thought he was awesome. And we flew back and she was like, I'm going to have a relationship with him and it tanked within a week. He just couldn't hold it together. And it broke her heart and it killed me that she had to go through this. I've never bad-mouthed him to my children, but I've always been very honest that the disease of alcohol and, and depression, everything he was going through, just made him unable to keep the relationship. So, and because there's so much of them, him in them, I don't want them to look at him and think he's just a bad person because he wasn't. He's a, there's a good person in there, but the disease took it over. And I'm trying to always explain that to them. And do you think today, like, have they forgiven? Have they been able Mm. to go through that part of the healing process? I wouldn't think so. Yeah. I don't think they have. I think I'm probably more forgiving than they are. Yeah. Um, I think they're still on that journey. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I yeah. can only imagine that it would, it is a very long journey for most. It is. And it, pr- probably through therapy and self-reflection yeah. and to- and Tom's loving nature yeah. and his support. Yeah. That you've been able to work through that. Well, and my kids... For the most part, like I look, my daughter just got married not long ago. We both walked her down mm-hmm. the aisle. And then she did the father dance with him. And then halfway through, they switched the song and I became the mother Aww. dance. Bawled my eyes out. <laughs> it was almost so emotional because <laughs> I didn't know they were going to do uh-huh. that. Um, he's been such, he's like just got such a, a wonderful heart. And so I think that has really helped with my children's healing. But there's there's a lot of trauma and pain there. Of course. And I, I don't think you, I don't think people in the situation now sometimes realize how much their children will carry and how much you have to work through that yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you balance this work and parental life? Because I... <laughs> I mean, girl, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I have two kids and a nanny and yeah. some days it's it's overwhelming. You were a single parent, moved yeah. here with hope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hope. And knowing I could feed my children. And knowing so, you yeah. could feed your children. Yeah. yeah. How it, did you balance parenting four kids, one with special needs, when they're young, yeah. starting a new career? Like I just can't even fathom like logistically. It it, it was a lot. Like Again, didn't date right away. Couldn't like couldn't. there was. I was too busy just trying to keep everything together. Um, I was blessed with the fact because it, there's 12 years from the top to the bottom uh, with my children. The older children actually had no choice but to pull their weight. They really had no choice. Um, and to some degree, I feel again some guilt that they're going through high school and they're now helping out with their younger brother and sister. They had no choice. Um, I also know that my daughter had, I wouldn't call it trauma, but it was difficult because she was only 21 months between her and her brother who had special needs. And initially they were in the same school. So that's embarrassing when your brother's having meltdowns and you're that age. Um, so there was a lot of stuff taking my time. So you just kind of had heads down for all of that. I think I'm a high energy person, which is 
probably a good thing. I wasn't watching TV much then. I don't watch a lot of TV now. We just go all the time. I have a daughter and a daughter-in-law now with children, so I have three grandchildren. And so when I watch them and how they get children off to daycare and everything, I don't know if I could have done that. I was really <laughs> lucky to be home when they were little, little. Yeah. I, and when I look back, I think, wow, how you guys ever did this? I don't know how you, I, I think there's hats off to women with careers and trying to manage children. It's a big thing. Well, and it we is help a big a thing. It we is. help out as grandparents a lot, but holy, but that's a lot. you were a single mom though. You didn't have a spouse. That's you what I'm trying to like understand. I know, you yeah. You don't have a choice. That's you true. Just you just put your head down yeah. and you do it. I think I really went into kids were a team. We're only going to survive this if we work as a team. And so we did everything that with that mentality. And they grew up with that mentality. We did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We just did that. Yeah. Um, Well, and I I guess, you know, speaking, I was chatting with my mom uh, the other day and she is the oldest of 12 and her and her youngest sister are 21 years apart. Yeah. And she moved out when she was 16 because she was a caregiver to her siblings. That's. And yeah. she said, and well, she said, I, I don't even know if I was a good caregiver because oftentimes I'd find reasons to stay out of the house after school, like yeah. pick up a job or do extra homework or stay at school and help because I didn't want to go home. But that's a survival exactly. thing for her, right? It was a yeah. survival thing. Yeah. So I think when you're in it, to your point, no one, you know, said, I'm going to gift you with being a single mom. Like it's no. not something that you wore with a badge of honor or, or that you had a choice. It was just something that you, yeah. you had to do. So you found your own routine and your own way to survive. But I think, and I think that's a really big point. You're in survival mode for so long. And then at some point you have to stop being in survival mode. And you have to let other people in and you have to start trusting again. And I think only when I went into counseling did I get out of that survival mm-hmm. mode. But I even see it in me now. When I get into a huge conflict in something, I can feel that energy of that survival mode come back. And it's like, I'm just going to get hyper-focused on dealing with this. Um, but I have that husband there that goes, okay, you're going down that path and I can see you triggering a lot and we're just going to have to find that balance. And you'll see, we'll go mountain biking, we'll go hiking, like we'll, we'll clear out and I'll, I'll balance myself again. But that's taken a lot, a lot of years and mm. a lot, a lot of work to get there. A it, lot. I'm sure it has, Brenda. Yeah. And are you still in therapy today? No. But I will say we've gone back in our marriage a couple times. Um, when the conflict, we, we dealt with the courts a lot with my stepchildren. And when it got really bad, we would go back into counseling because my husband would be triggering. Of course. And I had to help him. But my way of handling it sometimes would almost trigger him more. Mm-hmm. And so we really had to do a lot of talking to figure out how to handle our triggers. So, yeah, no, there's wow, been a couple rounds of counseling to keep. Yeah, it, it's the emotional, mental well-being part. You need to, you really have to take that time. And counseling is, a, I, I'm a big advocate for counseling. Yeah. And so do you and Tom, like now you've raised your kids. I mean, they're almost all gone. Yep. Like, do you ever like just sit back on your couch at night and be like, holy shit, we did this. <laughs> we survived. We survived. Like, do, yeah. you, do you 
Do you we, celebrate? <laughs> we celebrate. Last year, for the very first time, we went on our first trip ever. And, you know, I said that to people, and they're going, oh, wow, that's cool. They had no idea the journey we went on to get to a point that we could go on a trip, just us, and not have all of this. So we went to Costa Rica, and we went whitewater rafting. We hiked rainforests. We did all kinds of cool things, and it was like... For us, that reward that we had survived all of the stuff we've gone through. Um, But it's not like obstacles don't keep coming in your way. Of course. No, it's, yeah. Life is always going to throw you obstacles. I just think I am the person I am, and I can work through obstacles probably better than some people because of what I've gone through. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I have to just acknowledge that I would never have chosen that path but that path has made me the person I am today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it probably helps you put things into your life now and your career in yeah. perspective. Like if I, like something that I might find almost insurmountable to get through in my yeah. career, you would look at it and be like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, yeah, this is tough. But based on I've what I've gone through, through this. Yeah. like, yeah. does it, does that? It do, does yeah. actually. I've had a few times where it's gotten really, you know, tough moments in my career, in my life. And I look back at that arrival day in Calgary or the trauma of trying to leave a bad marriage. And if I can go through those moments, those really, really, really bad moments, I think I can get through just about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And what would Brenda tell her younger self today? Ooh, you know, I love my children to pieces, so I can't regret my marriage. But there were things I probably wish I could have done better when I was so much younger. In those early years, I wish I hadn't been so dependent on my ex. I wish I had started a career sooner and put more time into that sooner. Um, And I'm really happy, like I look at my daughter and my daughter-in-law and they both have careers and I'm so happy for that. They have solid marriages, so that's fine. But I, that vulnerability piece was what hindered me leaving sooner. Mm -hmm. And I regret that a lot. I would have, that Brenda would have done something differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are you most proud of yourself for looking back? I am proud that I have survived all of this. (laughs) I raised wonderful children. I have wonderful grandchildren. And I feel like the person I am today, I'm very proud of. Um, And it took into my 40s to feel that comfortableness with, I know who I am. I know who, where my strengths and weaknesses are, and I'm okay with that now. Mm -hmm. But it took a long time. And I'm very proud that I can hit that now. And I'm, yeah, yeah. And what have you vowed to yourself? That's a hard one. Whenever things start to look like I need to go down a different path, whether career-wise, family-wise, whatever, I recognize I'm okay to go down and be uncomfortable as I go that, that journey. And that... But I also look at it now, like I make conscious decisions now about where I want to go. And I'm, I'm okay if it goes sideways, but I'm very, very involved in that in my mind, knowing that I'm going to do this. And if it gets very uncomfortable, I can handle it. 
Wow, and I'm I'm just thinking of that vow to be to be okay with being uncomfortable, and that's a that's a big one. It is. It that that's way easier said than done. It is. Like, and I'm even thinking of some things now that I'm go experiencing that are making me uncomfortable, and I'm not feeling okay with it. So, yeah. that's a a really tough vow, but a very honest vow. So going into the nonprofit I'm in, it was a very small startup. I came in doing 10 hours a week as a contractor and grew it to what it is. Obviously had amazing people to help me grow it. But growing a startup, whether it's a nonprofit or not, you're uncomfortable a lot. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't think I could have done it if I hadn't been okay with that. And so that is something when I talk to others out there, I'm like, if you're gonna go down a journey like this, you have to almost embrace being uncomfortable and go, okay, I'm gonna be uncomfortable. How do I do this? Mm -hmm. And just get ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good vow, and I'm fairly certain that you will conquer that throughout your life, Brenda. <laughs> We always like to spotlight a charity of choice. Is there a charity that you would like to spotlight? So I, I've done some work with Discovery House. Um, again, I've actually spoke there. I was part of a golf tournament that raised money for it. And I believe what they're doing, especially their second stage. So I don't know how Share many- Share with us a yeah. little bit about Discovery so House. So they have a program where you can be in a I would say almost locked down apartment complex with an inner courtyard so you're safe with your children and you can be there for a year. And they, they have houses in the community that they have. And this is so that when you leave your spouse, you're, you're not alone for that year to two years. Like you have people there because your journey is gonna take a year to two years to more. Like it doesn't finish after you get out and you got your bills are being paid and you have a job and your kids are okay. There's emotional trauma that takes a long time. The court system is not easy to navigate. And so having someone walk that journey for a year to two years to more is really important. So I love what they're doing there. Oh, well, yeah. thank you so much for sharing. And, yeah. you know, we don't know who's listening to our podcast, yeah. you know, and so I'm just a, such a firm believer that if your story touches one life, if it resonates with one person, we don't need it to resonate with thousands. If it does, great. But your story and your willingness to share and being vulnerable, Brenda, I'm just so honored that you are here today and willing to share your story because I'm very confident that it has def definitely will impact our listeners. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you and thank you for helping me navigate this and <laughs> rip the mandate off and talk about something that's been very quietly yes. kept to me by yeah i oh. haven't shared so this is a big and thank you for being so gentle helping me through it uh, well i'm honored brenda thank you Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the stories.